You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Infertility, will it become a thing of the past? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Renee Matthews, your host, and with me today is Dr. Sanford Rosenberg. Dr. Sanford Rosenberg is founding director of Richmond Center for Fertility and Endocrinology based in Richmond, Virginia. He is also medical director of Global Art USA, a novel online egg donation database for IVF physicians and their patients. Welcome to the show, Dr. Rosenberg. Well, thank you very much, Renee. I appreciate it. Dr. Rosenberg and I are discussing his work with infertile couples. Can you please tell us some ways to diagnose fertility problems as primary care physicians? Well, a couple who doesn't conceive within a year and has no obvious abnormalities, such as the patient has no periods or the husband has been known to have an abnormal sperm count, is an automatic. And once a couple has reached a year, they've stepped outside normal statistics. That's two deviations of the population, two standard deviations of the population, and they should, in fact, seek attention at that point. If a couple has an obvious abnormality, such as I mentioned, like a known sperm abnormality or a known ovulation abnormality, then they should seek care immediately. An older couple where the woman is perhaps 35 to 36, should be thinking about a six-month interval in which they haven't conceived because we have less time to deal with the issue. How common actually are infertility problems in the U.S. today with people, let's say, less than 35? A very standard quoted number, and one with which I have no reason to quibble, is about one in eight couples ultimately will have difficulty conceiving at some point in their reproductive lifespan. Okay, and that's regardless of age? That's regardless of age. That's correct. So as primary care physicians, do you think that we could successfully diagnose infertility? Well, if we follow the guidelines that I just mentioned, then it's relatively easy because a normal couple should conceive roughly 50 to 60% of the time within six months and 80 to 90% of the time within a year. And if a couple exceeds those parameters, we can define them as infertile. The wrong thing to do is to say to such a couple, well, don't worry, you're young, everything looks good. Why don't we give it a couple of years? Because pretty soon months roll into years and years roll into decades, and the last thing a reproductive endocrinologist wants to hear is, well, my doctor told me to call you if at 39 I still wasn't pregnant. And what are the most common causes that you you see for infertility in both males and females? Well, it depends on the patient demographic. One of the most common problems for patients in the past, and still to some degree in the in the present, are tubal abnormalities. Patients who've had infections or previous surgeries that can interfere with their tubes and with the ability of the tubes to pick up eggs. A very common abnormality is male factor, for want of a better term. Male factor means anything related to sperm whatsoever. And although we very rarely see males who have no sperm, we very commonly see males who have aberrant numbers of sperm or aberrant sperm semen parameters, such as low sperm count or low sperm motility or high abnormal numbers of abnormal sperm. Those are much more common presently than they seemed to be in decades past, 
what the reason is is another issue, but perhaps half of all of the patients that are seen in an infertility population have abnormal sperm parameters as at least part of the issue. And a third and very common abnormality presenting as infertility would involve ovulation disorders. That can be from someone who ovulates irregularly all the way to someone who never ovulates at all. What are the treatments that you usually would use for some of these abnormalities? For ovulation disorders, that's a pretty straightforward problem usually, and that is a patient in whom an infertility specialist would use any one of a variety of medications or hormones which can stimulate natural ovulation. For abnormal tubes, we have a couple of options. One would be the repair of the tubes, which was very commonly practiced 15, 20, 30 years ago, and still to some degree now. But we used to try to repair tubes that were really beyond repair, and now we have in vitro fertilization to bypass the tube. So often that's the best opportunity for patients who have abnormal tubes. As far as sperm issues are concerned, we are generally not very good at producing better sperm from the testis, but we are pretty good at better utilizing the sperm that we have. And that has allowed us to utilize a variety of techniques, such as intrauterine insemination or in vitro fertilization, in which abnormal sperm specimens can be best utilized to affect an acceptable pregnancy level. Okay. You're listening to Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Renee Matthews, and I'm speaking with Dr. Sanford Rosenberg, and we are discussing infertility options. So the intrauterine insemination, that is just strictly putting the sperm into the uterus versus the in vitro fertilization, which happens, everything happens outside of the uterus? Well, they are similar in many respects up to a point. With intrauterine insemination, we are basically saying that there are limited numbers of effective sperm, and we want to get more of the best sperm closer to the egg at the right time. It's something akin to a college mixer. We want to get more people to the party, simply. The vagina is a big place for sperm. Most of the sperm get lost there during normal intercourse, and if there are a limited number of normal sperm, then we have a limited number of sperm that can get to the egg. With in vitro fertilization, we can effectively utilize even extremely low numbers of sperm or extremely poor sperm activity because we have the opportunity to actually inject individual sperm into individual eggs. It's a process called ICSI, I-C-S-I, and it's term, it stands for intracytoplasmic sperm injection. That's a technique in which we collect eggs from a patient. The semen sample is evaluated. The embryologist looks and says, not you, not you. Yes, there's the good sperm. And that individual sperm is picked up and injected into the egg. And that procedure has effectively almost neutralized male factor as an issue, 
because in conditions where we would always in the past have had to resort to donor sperm, we now are able to utilize husband sperm to the maximum degree. Most of our techniques are designed to maximize the use of husband sperm rather than to try to improve the quality of husband sperm, which admittedly we are less good at. So the most important question, I think, is when do you believe that primary care physicians should definitely refer patients to a clinic like yours? Well, reproductive endocrinologists always feel that a patient who meets the criteria that I mentioned earlier, that is a year of unprotected intercourse in a couple in whom there are no obvious abnormalities, is absolutely a patient that should be referred to an infertility specialist. There are many gynecologists who have some interest in and experience in infertility, and they may get the patient started, but ultimately, if the patient still doesn't conceive, then an infertility specialist, we feel, is really the best place to go because we will take the patient as quickly as possible to the most effective treatment. Time is important because of the importance of age in infertility. Mm -hmm. Can you please tell us more about your clinic and the resources that you can provide other physicians? Well, I have two uh, practices. One is a local practice in which I take care of infertility patients in the greater Virginia, greater Richmond and Virginia area for the most part. And I was the first physician in central Virginia to do IVF. I was the first physician in Virginia to do laser surgery. Those are standards now in our practice, and those are things which are commonly available elsewhere as well. What I also have to offer is a program that we developed about five or six years ago in which we are able to utilize egg donors in Eastern European countries to provide eggs for patients who need egg donation, but in general, for thousands of dollars less than any comparable program in the United States. And so I guess because of cost is one of the reasons why a physician would recommend this program, but is there any other benefits to this program versus ordinary egg donation? Well, we think there are several. In America, Egg donation is limited in the sense that not every program has an egg donation possibility. It is very expensive to screen for egg donors, and they are difficult to come by often, and patients may have a limited number of donors to choose from. Also, not every physician who does in vitro fertilization has ready access to an in vitro program, and so often the patient would have to leave the practice, go somewhere else, and the doctor would then lose the patient, and the patient would lose her doctor, and neither one is completely happy. With our program, Global Art USA, we have the opportunity to provide any physician in the country with donor eggs fertilized by the patient's husband's or partner's sperm, which are virtually delivered to them at their door, and they don't have to lose the patient, nor does the patient have to leave her doctor, and all of that can be done for thousands of dollars less than any comparable program in the United States. The reasons for this 
would have to do with the fact that in Europe, although we meet all of the standards of American programs, including all of the FDA recommendations and all of the American Society of Reproductive Medicine recommendations, the procedures cost less, the medications cost less, and the donors, although paid well, are still paid less than American donors. And consequently, a couple can receive embryos from our European program, basically created from eggs from the donor they've chosen and sperm from the patient's husband or partner at very much lower costs and without sacrificing anything in terms of quality. I want to thank Dr. Sanford Rosenberg, who has been our guest, and we have been discussing infertility options. I'm Dr. Renee Matthews, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.